Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Have any of you ever found yourself lost in the woods before? Uh, let's be honest, some of you are too scared to even go into the woods let alone go deep enough to actually risk getting lost. Now, I've found something to actually be pretty funny. Many people that I know who are from cities, they cannot stand being in the middle of nowhere where it's totally dark. Uh, they're terrified that like some animal is going to come and just kill them or something. But then you got people like me, uh, born and raised literally in the forest, and you take us into the city and it's like we're scared that some person's going to come and kill us. And so I guess we're all scared of something no matter who we are. Uh, but let me tell you about a time where I actually did get lost in the woods because it was not fun at all. It was actually during uh, a Thanksgiving break, probably about 15 years ago or so. And my dad, who is a really avid hunter, uh, he happened to shoot a buck near our house on one of the nights that we were there. And so, you know, me and my sisters were all home and stuff. And so he's excited for us to go out and have a chance to track this deer. And so we all get, get our stuff on and the uh, problem is we didn't wait long enough. Uh, about 10 of us went out tracking this deer and because we went out too quick, we kept tracking it for a couple of miles. And at that point, uh, most of us in the group went back to the house. Um, but me, my dad, my older sister Nikki, and a family friend of ours named Pat, uh, we all went back out into the woods to finally find this deer. And we're tracking it for about a half mile off of one of the back roads near our house and we totally lost the trail. Uh, after about 15 minutes, my dad's like, okay guys, let's go home. Uh, and my competitive juices, man, they started to kick in. And I was like, dad, dad, give me like two more minutes. I'm gonna find this thing, I'm telling you. And sure enough, I found the tracks and so we kept on going. And little did I know that this almost caused my death in the woods. Uh, what happens, we finally ended up spotting the deer and finally the longest track of all time was over. Uh, my dad, he kind of he takes care of things with the deer. I don't want to get too graphic, but we start dragging the deer out of the woods and in like 200 yards, we literally lose our tracks coming out of the woods. Uh, for 15 minutes at least, we're looking all over and we cannot find four people's tracks leading out of the woods. Now, I've, been, I've never been lost in the woods before. Um, until this time. And if you've never been lost in the woods, you maybe don't understand the sort of anxiety that begins to take over when you truly don't know if you're ever going to find your way out. Uh, it's actually quite terrifying what happens. And so here's what happens. My dad, normally a man of sound, solid thinking, he begins to go insane. Uh, not like running around muttering nonsense kinds of stuff, but he loses his mind. He looks off into the woods and he sees a light up in the trees. And the next thing he does is he's like, hey, hey guys, I see a light. I think it's a house. I'm going to go check it out. And before I could even tell him that it was the moon, the man was gone. He's running off into the woods. And I was pretty sure that at that moment he was dead. Um, and now I've got to find a way out of these woods for me and for Nikki and for Pat. Thanks a lot, Dad. Appreciate what you did there. Well, now Pat's got an issue going on now too. He had started to feel ill while we were out tracking this deer and now I think the stress has just gotten to him. He's starting to lay down in the light snow trying to like take a nap or something. And so now 
here he is. He's saying to me, Kellen, just, just go. He's laying in the woods. He's like, Kellen, just go. I'm not going to make it. You guys save yourselves. Just don't worry about me. What? Like, my dad has gone crazy, and he's chasing a light, otherwise known as the moon. Our friend now thinks that he's dying, and he's just packing it in. He's seeing another kind of light. And me and Nikki, we might have to start eating this deer raw if we don't get out of the woods soon. It was not looking good for this party of four at the moment. And so a few minutes later, to my delight, my dad comes back, and he's like, guys, I think it was just the moon. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding, Sherlock. Like, and then, so then we pull Pat up from his little deathbed that he had made on the ground. And, and I simply suggest, I'm like, hey, everybody, maybe it's time that we just say a little prayer and ask God to help us find these tracks. And so we prayed, and no lie, within two minutes, we spotted our tracks. We left that deer there, and we got our behinds out of those woods as fast as we could. My dad and Nikki, they went out the next morning, they retrieved the deer, and I think my dad was actually even smart enough to take a compass with him this time. Now, maybe you're wondering why I'd share this quite possibly too long of a story about getting lost in the woods. And I'm gonna get to the reason in a minute, but first, what we're about to do is we're, we're gonna take a look at parts of three parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. Now, here's the first two verses that lead into these parables. Okay, Luke 15, verses one and two. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, these parables are known to many of us as the parables of the lost. And the reason that Jesus told them at this moment was because of the setting that he found himself in. Jesus was hanging out with all the wrong kind of people, tax collectors and sinners. These were people who had lost their way. They were far from godly people. There was no appearance of anything in them that was right in terms of the way that they lived their lives. Uh, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, those guys, man, they seemed to be right, right where they were supposed to be. They were leaders of the church, uh, the church of that day, the synagogue. And by all accounts, they were in position to know God and knowing how to live the way that God wanted them to live. But the things that they muttered under their breath proved that they didn't get it. They had it all wrong. The, the people that they thought were so lost maybe actually weren't as lost as they were themselves. So let me go back to the time that I was lost in the woods because I think we can draw a comparison here that it's going to make some sense. Uh, my mom probably was starting to think that maybe we'd been gone for a, a while, maybe a little too long, and, and probably not long enough time to start to get worried, but it wouldn't have been too long before she would have thought, man, I need to call somebody. Uh, and what do you think would have happened if you know, what would have gone through her head if she calls the police and she says to them, you know, some of my family, they're out in the woods and I need somebody to start looking for them. And what if the reply back was, do you have anyone at home with you? Uh, why don't you just concern yourself with the people who are at your home right now? That would have been a crazy response, right? In a civilized society such as ours, we don't leave lost people in the woods to fend for themselves. We seek them out. We go and look for them to bring them back home. In fact, better yet, we think those who do leave lost people to fend for themselves, we think they're either evil or insane. If a mother doesn't report her child who's been missing for a month and she goes on and she's living her life like it's a party, we assume her guilt in whatever might have happened to her child. On the battlefield, American soldiers, 
won't even let a soldier who has been killed be lost into the enemy hands. They will do whatever they have to to retrieve their brother and to bring him home. If we had stayed in the woods much longer, it would have, it would have been natural for a search party to have been sent out to look for us. No one would have told my mom, well, you got one daughter still at home. You're good. No way. And if anyone had suggested that, it would have proven that they were actually truly lost and morally corrupt people themselves, right? Now, the moment that the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to mutter about Jesus welcoming sinners to eat with him, they actually proved that while it seemed to everybody that they were spiritual, they were in fact just as lost. In fact, they were maybe even more spiritually lost than the so-called sinners because they didn't realize that A, they, they didn't realize their own need for Jesus and B, the need of rescuing that all lost people have. As we're finishing up this unlimited series, the final core value of Central Christian Church that we're talking about today is lost people matter most. And that's it, plain and simple, lost people matter most. We are a church that will do whatever we can to go into the forest and bring someone home who can't find their way home. We may not find and rescue everybody. Heck, some people may not even want to come with us once we find them. But to us, no cost is too big and no effort is unnecessary if it means bringing someone back to Jesus who is lost and wandering. And there's really two points that I want to highlight as we take just really a brief overview of these two, these three parables about the lost. And the first of these two parables, um, I should say the first two of these parables, they're very similar in nature. One is the parable of lost sheep. Uh, the other is the parable of the lost coin. And so I'm going to start off with the parable of the lost sheep in verses four, and, four through seven. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be rejoicing, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then the one about the lost coin is very much the same. Verses 8 through 10 says, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and she says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, do you notice the common thread through both of those two parables. It's really kind of threefold. Number one, something's lost. Then everything else is put on hold to look for what's been lost. And then third, there is great rejoicing when the thing that was lost has been found again. I don't know if Jesus could have put it more brilliantly or made his point clearer with any other story. And I mean, he's Jesus, so he's pretty brilliant, right? We've got, you've got one story uh, this person has a hundred sheep. Now, that seems like a lot of sheep to me. Uh, but to the people that Jesus is talking to, that is a normal-sized flock of sheep. And as the nightly count is being taken, this shepherd realizes that one sheep is missing. Now, when I have a hundred things of something, I don't always care if one of them goes missing. Let's be honest, missing one penny out of a hundred, 
I'm not going to call out a search party to find that penny. When I was a kid, if I had 100 common baseball cards and I lost one, I'm not going to care. But missing one $100 bill out of 100, that I might call a search party for. Jesus is insinuating that this sheep, or in the second story, this one coin, it's worth enough to stop everything and to put, it, to put a search on. In the shepherd's case, the shepherd leaves the flock in a safe place. Uh, it says in an open country, he leaves this flock. And very likely, he actually would probably bring somebody along to, to kind of care for the flock while he goes. But then he goes out in earnest search for this valuable sheep. This sheep isn't just one out of a hundred. This sheep in this moment is the one. Same thing goes for the lady's one coin in the second story. There is great value in that coin. Uh, Jesus' whole emphasis here is to show us that any person who is lost and without Jesus is important enough to stop the normal activities of daily living and to go out of our way and to pursue. But this story isn't focused so much on the pursuing as it is on the celebration of when that lost one is finally found. When, when we say that lost people matter most, I think of the outcome of these two parables. And here's really what it means for us. First big thing here today. We will celebrate when even one person finds Jesus. We will celebrate. Now this is an attitude, it's a mindset that all churches should place the highest value on people who don't know Jesus. But many Christians and many churches aren't comfortable with, with that idea because it means that those already saved and in the church become like second-class citizens. It means that there has to be an effort made that isn't intended for the church person in mind. It's an attitude that means the church will always be a place where priority will be placed on bringing in the lost and hurting person rather than making church comfortable for the already present church member. You can almost hear the Pharisees' thoughts as Jesus tells them this parable of the lost sheep. I think they're undoubtedly, they're thinking, Jesus, you mean that you would leave me and the other 98 to go and find the one who strayed off? The one who disobeyed in the first place? You're going to leave us for them? And Jesus is like, uh, yeah, without even giving it a second thought, that's what I'm going to do. The idea that Jesus is bringing up uh, in these two parables is the very reason why we're going to keep doing whatever we can to reach out to the kids and families and teachers at Wilson Elementary School and in the Fourth Ward neighborhood. We put a lot of time and even money into ministering to people there. And you know what? There's an argument that could be made that might sound like this. Hey, Kellen, what if we, what if we put our money and our time into other places that might attract more people? Uh, people that maybe are going to a ch one church and they want to go to a different church or maybe put up more advertisements and billboards. Maybe get involved with a school where, where more families would be willing to take their kids uh, to church after they've had a midweek Bible program there. Why do ministry in a place where there seems to be so little fruit? We're not growing huge numbers because of it. Now, I hope that to every one of you, something about that argument sounds wrong. But you know what? It's an argument that some churches make in our country every day. If it's not growing our numbers, don't give it the time or don't give it the money. But these two parables show us that ministry that has the potential to bring Jesus, even one person who's far off and lost, is worth every effort that we can give to it. When I was doing uh, ministry in Lac de Flambeau with Native American students, 
People often suggested that maybe it wasn't worth it because families weren't getting to church and life change seemed few and far between. But you know what? Almost every week I'm still in contact with former students from there uh, and we're still doing the work of trying to find that one lost sheep and bring them back in. In your own life, I'd almost guarantee that you've had someone whom you've tried to go after and help them find their way to Jesus. And you've probably come to your breaking point many times before. I'm telling you, finding lost people and helping them back to Jesus, it's not easy work. The shepherd in this parable had to find someone to watch the other 99. He had to go out and probably walk for miles, calling out to his sheep. Then he finds him and he has to put him on his shoulders and get him back to the flock. The parable also says that he did it with joy. But then there's the woman with her lost coin. She had to get dirty. Man, she's crawling around on her dirty floors, doing that thing where she puts her face to the floor to try to see if there's like something on the ground that she couldn't see otherwise. I, man, I, I wear contacts. When I, was a, when I was first putting contacts in, I was horrible at it, and I would drop them all the time. And I have to get down on the floor and try to see uh, like something shining on the floor and see if there was where it was. It's dirty work sometimes, finding something that's lost. This work of finding the lost was not easy. It was stressful and it was taxing. The temptation was there to give in because after all, this is just one of many else that I've got. There's a 99 more sheep, there's nine more coins. Whether it's the church going after lost people or whether it's that lost person in your life that you're trying to bring back to Jesus, it'll never be easy work. And it'll always be easier to just ride it out the easy way and be okay with the 99 others who have it figured out and who don't need to be saved. But who are we if we're unwilling to save those who need saving? What point is there in a church if we're only here for ourselves? Jesus brought us together to be more than that. He brought us together so that all might be saved. Now let's be clear on this. Jesus is the one who saves. We don't do the saving. But if we focus so hard on the 99 who are here and never focus on the one outside who's lost, we'll never be able to rejoice over someone new finding life. I want us to be able to be a church that's a rejoicing church. I want us to experience rejoicing in in all of our lives as a whole. I want to experience rejoicing in my own life by continuing to seek out the lost and the hurting in my life. And that's what I think Jesus pushes us toward in these two parables. But what about the third of these lost parables? This is one that's just a little bit different than the other two. Uh, This parable is about two sons, and one of them we know as the prodigal son. And he's one the one that most people focus on in this story. Let's um, let's just be honest. He got sick of working in his dad's fields, and so one day he goes and he asks his dad for his share in the inheritance. And his dad gives it to him. And so he goes away and he spends the money until there is nothing left. Gets to the point where he's got to go back to daddy. And so he goes back to daddy. And instead of daddy treating him with contempt, he throws him a lavish party. Now, in the first of these two parables, Jesus focused on God's care for the lost. But in this parable, he was really trying to show the Pharisees who they were. And they were the other brother in this parable. They were the brother who stayed home and was obedient to his dad. They, this brother stayed home during all the years that his brother was out partying and squandering his money away. This brother resented his brother for returning. But even more, 
He resented that his father welcomed his brother home while never seeming to acknowledge how good he had always been. Instead of this brother being happy to see his brother come home, he was angry to see him. This obedient brother had maybe wondered if his older brother had, or his other brother had died somewhere. And come to find out, he actually probably preferred that he had died somewhere. While he had always played the obedient role, his anger at his dad's reaction to his lost brother revealed that he didn't care about his brother or his dad. He just wanted to get what he thought he deserved. While he hated his once lost brother, his anger proved that he in fact was the most hopelessly lost of the two. His brother had been lost, but had returned home to his father. He, on the other hand, he had never really been with his father to begin with. The Pharisees themselves, they had no heart for lost people. And while they thought so poorly of those supposed lost people, they didn't realize that their coldness actually indicated that they were even more lost than the supposedly lost sinners were. Here's what this third, third parable really means for us as a church. The second big thing for this morning. We will acknowledge that losing heart for the lost would make us just as lost. Losing heart for the lost makes us lost. The Pharisees' anger at who Jesus was hanging out with showed that they didn't really get it. We can't be a church who really gets Jesus and also be a church that doesn't have a passion for the lost to be saved. We can't think that the church is just here to tend to our needs in our little corner of the world. A church is meant to be a church that brings Jesus to a world that is dying without him. The church doesn't have a greater calling than that. Remember the anxiety that I talked about that comes when you realize that, man, I might be lost in the woods? If you know Jesus, you always know the way home. Jesus is kind of like our magnetic north on a compass. In any stressful moment, we know where to turn. But there's a world out there that doesn't know. There is a world out there that is lost. We need to be willing to bring Jesus to others who are drowning in the anxiety of being lost in a world without answers. And here's what it boils down to for us. God wants you to have a heart for people who need Jesus in their lives. Maybe you do have that heart, but who's to say that God doesn't still want you to grow that heart more and more? It's not that God wants you to only have relationships with lost people, but do lost people really matter most to you? Do you long with a burning passion to see people come to know the grace that Jesus is offering to them? Maybe you need to regularly begin praying that God does two things in your heart today. Could you pray that, man, pray that God would grow your heart for people who don't know Jesus? And two, Pray that he would give you more influence in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. If, if all we're doing is hanging out with the 99 sheep inside the fence and we don't even know one person who is the lost sheep wandering around, maybe we need to intentionally find ways to rub elbows with people who aren't like us. Maybe you're the perfect person to start helping out at Wilson Elementary after this pandemic is done. Uh, or maybe you need to go inside the gas station to pay instead of paying at the pump just so that you can bless somebody and get to know somebody who works inside that gas station. Uh, but where I really want to challenge you is to begin praying for the lost ones in your life that you already know. About five or six days a week, I pray for, 
for 10 names. All right, Ryan, Ryan, Justin, Dylan, Omar, Ray, Jerome, George, Masabi, and Frank. I ask God to open their hearts to the gospel. I ask God to use me or anyone to bring them to know him. When, when am I going to stop praying? I don't know. But I have a feeling that God isn't going to take away this burden until either I die, they die, or they all know Jesus. And the more I pray, the more that I want them to know Jesus. And the more that God keeps adding that heart in my, in, in my heart, the more that he keeps adding names to this list. Heck, it started off with two names, and it's actually, it's actually probably at like 17 names now that I'm trying to pray for like almost every day. Lost people really do matter most. As a church, our call is to drop whatever we have to so that someone else might hear about Jesus. As individuals, our call is no different. Are you actively letting God give you a burden for the people in your life to know Jesus? The greatest sign that you in fact get what it is that Jesus has done for you is that you want others to experience that same gospel, to have that take a hold of their own lives, just like it's taken hold of yours. Who's a lost sheep that God is asking you to leave the 99 for today? Why don't you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much that while I once was lost, you have brought me in. God, I thank you that, that while I am not perfect, you have saved me. You have, you have brought me into your family. God, I pray that you would help me, help us never to lose sight of the people that you are desiring to grab a hold of, the people that you are desiring to snatch out of a lost world and bring back into your family. God, I pray that you'd help us to have a, a heart and a passion for the lost. God, I pray that we would faithfully pray for people who we know don't yet know you. God, I pray that you would open up opportunities this week for us to speak into the lives of of loved ones, of family, of friends, of co-workers, of school, classmates, whoever it may be, people that don't know you, give us open doors to speak into their lives, to share our faith, to share the hope that we have in Jesus. God, may we never for one moment become like the Pharisees, thinking that we have it all together and that everybody else, <laughs> they're not worth our time. God, help us to remember that they are worth our time because we were worth your time. God, I pray that you'd help us in this. We love you. We thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to see that the lost matter most. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.